Would you take the Word of God and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus? The book of Exodus in chapter 20. As you turn there in your Bibles in the book of Exodus, we have been looking at the uh, Ten Commandments. And uh, by way of reminder, the Ten Commandments were not just given to tell a man what he must do and what he must not do. But these commandments are really reflective of the wonderful character of God. And so they really teach us something uh, important about who God is. And that's what we learn really. The Word of God is uh, not just something that uh, benefits mankind, but it is something that teaches us something about God. And before the Lord gave the commandments, if you remember, He established the relationship upon which those commandments stand. He had said in Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then he gives the Ten Commandments. And so the commandments certainly are no doubt beneficial for mankind in this sense. Man benefits when children honor their father and their mother. Man benefits when uh, there is no killing No murder. Man benefits when there is no adultery. Man benefits when there is no lying. Man benefits when there is no stealing. So we understand that there is a benefit for mankind. However, um, those commandments are established, again, between God and man. In other words, although there is a practical outcome to the fulfillment of those commandments with man's relationship to man, there's a practical outcome, which is a good outcome. They are established between God and man. And so God being the lawgiver and man being the receiver of the law. So these commandments, when it says, honor thy father and thy mother, we do that in the Lord. Thou shalt not kill. We do that in the Lord. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We do that in the Lord. Uh, That is our first responsibility. Joseph communicated that when his Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, wanted to lie with him by force. He said, I cannot do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar. That's not what he said, although that would be true. He said, I can't do this great wickedness and sin against God. And by the way, it's interesting that happened in the book of Genesis. The Ten Commandments were not given, yet he was fully aware of the law, the moral standard of God. And so when we look at those commandments, uh, let's view those primarily as God being the lawgiver. These concern primarily man's relationship to God because they communicate God's character. And if you noted a pattern in, this, in these commandments, for example, thou shalt not kill, when God mentions that the violation of that command, man does not have the right to do that. Why? Because man is made in the image of God. And so he brings it back to himself. The reason why man is not to commit adultery is because God is a faithful God. And to commit adultery is to be unfaithful. And it's not a good reflection on the character of God. And And so we we look at those things in connection to God. Now we're looking at the ninth commandment this evening. And we are interested not just with the letter of the law and what it says. We don't want to limit ourselves to the letter of the law. We want to concern ourselves to the spirit of the law. So we'll begin with the letter, expand on that, 
and then look at the spirit of the law. So let's stand together, if you would, with me for the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 20, we'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll add one more commandment down through verse 16 this evening. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, the Word of God says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Verse 16, the title this evening, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be truthful, that there would be integrity and honesty in the inward parts. That's what David said in Psalm 51. Thou desirest not a sacrifice, else he would give it, but thou desirest truth in the inward parts. So, Lord, might we learn the importance of this ninth commandment, how it relates to us, and how we can be faithful to observe uh, not just the letter of the law, but to observe the spirit of this ninth commandment. We know that as believers we are redeemed from serving the oldness of the letter to serving in newness of spirit. And so help us to be faithful to your word this evening and to apply it to our lives. We ask for help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I mentioned just a moment ago, the Ten Commandments communicate not just what man must do and what man must not do, but they also communicate some things about God and about who God is. When we think about this ninth commandment, we know immediately that this ninth commandment is of great importance for two reasons. First of all, because to violate this commandment goes against the very nature of God. The Bible tells us in Titus chapter 1 verse 2, uh, when they talk about our salvation, he talks about the hope of eternal life, and he says, which God that cannot lie. That's what the Bible says about God. 
the nature of God is this. He cannot lie. Uh, by the way, part of the foundation of our eternal life is based on that. That God offers to us eternal life in His Son, and nothing can take that away. We have the Word of God for that, because God cannot lie. And so part of our salvation is based on this, the character of God. That God will not go back on His Word. Uh, which, by the way, He promised, it says in Titus, before the world began. And so he, got, he doesn't go back on his word. He cannot lie. It's not, it's not that God doesn't want to lie. It's that his nature as such is that he cannot. He is holy. He is undefiled. He is separate from sinners. And so the ninth commandment is important because it goes against uh, his, God's divine nature. But also uh, this commandment is important to to observe and to think about and to consider in its spirit because it is really held in great contempt in the sight of God. Uh, let me give you two scriptural references that will give light on this. If you turn with me to Psalm 101, turn with me to Psalm 101, and while you turn there, I'm going to read to you a portion in Proverbs chapter 6. I read all, uh, I did a series through those verses here. But Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says this, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him. When you think about the word abomination, there are very few things in the Old Testament where God attaches the word abomination. And we think about that word, it's a strong word, God abhors he holds in deep contempt those things. And the Bible says that there are seven things. And here's the list. A proud look. A lying tongue is number two. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imagination. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. And then he says this. A false witness that speaketh lies. You say, well, he already mentioned a lying tongue. He mentions it twice. That's how God, in this whole list, twice he mentions the sin of lying. And he that soweth discord among the brethren, and we could might even include that the sowing discord among the brethren includes lies. The idea of sowing discord is that you're trying to pit someone against another one, and to do that, you have to lie. You have to say something false about someone so that it creates conflict. And so you see here, the, there's an emphasis where God says, I really hate this. I consider this to be of an abomination. And within the family, as I mentioned, the Ten Commandments include not just those commandments on their face, but there's a whole family of sins that exists under each one of those Ten Commandments. And uh, God mentions that out of the seven things, we might say for sure two things, but three of those are included within this ninth commandment. Now, if you're in Psalm 101, notice with me verse 5. He says this, Whoso privily slanders his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will I suffer. Mine eyes shall not be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within mine house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. 
There's something about the lying tongue, the false witness that God completely abhors. He said, I want them out of my sight. I don't want them in my dwelling place. And so we see here that the ninth commandment is of great importance because it goes against the very divine nature and character of God, but it is also held in great contempt to God as he thinks about the violation of this ninth commandment. As we begin to dig within this ninth commandment, it has to be understood in its fullness, and I've tried to classify and expand on that. I don't want to go into too much details because we're going to continue to study the book of Exodus throughout the remainder of the book, and some of those commandments will be revisited, no doubt, and we're going to touch on those again. But I'd like to maybe put those into categories and really try to understand the spirit of this commandment. Uh, the Bible says here in our text in Exodus 20, verse 16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Let me mention briefly each one of those words. The word witness here means this. Uh, it means a recorder. That's what a witness is. He is a recorder. Uh, this is someone who speaks about that which he has heard, that which he has observed, that which he knows. He is known as a recorder of certain events, of certain conversations, of being in a certain place, of observing certain people. And so the word witness is really preceded by the word false, a false witness. Now, it's interesting because you would think that a witness who is a recorder, you attach the word false, it says it doesn't seem to go together, but that's exactly what the issue is here. The word false means to be untrue, to communicate a sham, to be deceitful, to lie. Uh, by the way, in the text that I just mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6, he mentions a false witness that speaketh lies. So you think about a witness should not speak lies because all that a witness is is a recorder of what actually happened. But in this sense, he is a false witness, a false recorder, because he is rehearsing or his record of what happened is untrue. It's like an oxymoron. A false witness doesn't seem to go together. That's why in our judicial system here, they uh, swear on the Word of God. I will speak the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's what they say in the sight of God. And so there's the expectation that someone who brings a witness is by virtue of being a witness is not a false witness, but is a true witness. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, a false witness that speaketh lies. That word literally means to puff, to blow, to fan. It means to kindle. A false witness that speaketh lies is uh, seen in the mind of God as someone who begins a fire, which is what the book of James tells us. That the tongue is uh, like a fire. It's got the, the poison of a serpent in it and it causes uh, havoc in the lives of people. But there's the word here which I think we can begin to dig within the spirit of the law when we think about the word in Exodus 20, 16. Uh, he, thou shalt not bear, bear false witness. No, I know it's not a bear. As in a vicious bear in the woods. Uh, the word bear here has a really broad application. Uh, now, immediately our minds goes to a courtroom and to someone who stands as a witness on the witness stands and who bears witness of what he saw, of what he heard, of what he was privy to. 
But the word here, bear, has a broad application and means this. The idea of bear means to look upon, to consider, to pay heed to, to listen to. It can also mean to give or to communicate. Now, turn with me to Exodus 23. Let's see here what he says in Exodus chapter 23. Uh, Notice with me verses 6 and 7. Exodus 23, just a few pages over. In verse 6, notice what he says. Thou shalt not rest the judgment of thy poor in his cause. Keep thee far from a false manner, and the innocent and righteous slay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. Notice what he says in verse 7 at the beginning again. Keep thee far from a false witness. So here, the person that is an onlooker, he says, you need to not only yourself not bear false witness, but if you're not the one who is actually doing the witnessing, you should stay away as far as you can from any false witness. So when we think about bearing false witness, the idea is you shouldn't even look upon, you shouldn't even listen to, you shouldn't even consider, you shouldn't pay heed to, not just give or communicate, But you shouldn't bear any false witness whatsoever. So here is what it is to include, to be included in this commandment. You shall not invent. You shall not give attention to. You shall not think about. You should not pass along false witness. That is what is included in the word bear. We must neither be a giver of nor a receiver of false witness. You see, the commandment in effect says you shall not carry false witness either in your head, in your heart, or in your lips. Don't bear it at all. That's how broad that word bear is. Very broad application. I like what Peter Master says. He says, It is a breach of this commandment even to fuel one's own mind with exaggerated or imagined ideas about another person's faults. Because we are then bearing or carrying and considering false witness, even those these defamatory thoughts may never pass through our lips in gossip. We hold them in our thoughts. We are bearing them. We are paying attention to them. Matthew Henry wrote about the ninth commandment. Notice what he he wrote. Uh, The ninth commandment concerns our own and our neighbor's good name. This commandment forbids, number one, speaking falsely in any matter, lying, uh, equivocating, and in any way devising and designing to deceive our neighbor. Number two, speaking unjustly against your neighbor. Number three, bearing false witness against him, which is slanting, backbiting, tail-bearing, aggravating what is done amiss and making it worse than it is, and in any way endeavoring to raise our own reputation upon the ruin of our neighbor's reputation. So there's much more than just thinking about, oh, well, just lying with my tongue. No, the spirit of the commandment is very important in the word bear. 
don't invent, give your attention to, think about, pass on any false witness. Not in your head, not in your heart, not by your lips. So we see here that the ninth commandment is to be understood uh, really in its fullness in the word bear. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now let me mention here that the ninth commandment must include two main categories of false witness. Uh, Again, the idea is not in your heart, not in your mind, not through your lips. No, don't bear any false witness. But when we think about the idea of being a false witness, let's step now outside the heart, outside the mind, we might be able to categorize a false witness into uh, two categories. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Let's look at uh, what does it mean to to bear false witness, to be a false witness. Notice Deuteronomy chapter 19. Let's begin in verse 14. And I'll explain why I'm including verse 14 in just a moment. Let's read here those verses. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14 The word of God says, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he hath thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. Now, there are two categories of a false witness. Did you notice them? The first one is a false witness by an act. Not by words that you say, but by an act. Now that's what we find in verse 14. Notice, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Now, the landmark, a landmark was usually, at that time, a stone or a post used by neighboring properties to distinguish your property from your neighbor's property. Uh, today, if you buy a house, when you typically buy a house, they do a, they do a survey, and often what they'll do is the, the surveyor will come, he'll make sure that the uh, limits of the property are marked off. And he'll put flags on each corner of the property where the property is to be marked off. So when you become the new homeowner, you know which part belongs to you, which part belongs to your neighbor. The lines have been drawn. 
Well, at that time, they didn't have surveyors. Uh, the, the, the lines were drawn, and they would put either a post or a, a large stone to uh, mark the line or the intersection of this is my property on this side, and on the other side, it is your property. That was called a landmark. Now, those landmarks could be easily removed and placed in different locations. So when he says here, thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, this was basically a dishonest move to enlarge one's own property without the knowledge of the neighbor. And so the landmark being moved, the landmark, what you, you say, well, what was the landmark? The landmark was this. The landmark was a witness. That's what the landmark was. Here is the witness of the separation of my property from your property. And so if a man took it upon himself to remove that post and to move it down a little ways to expand his property or to take that big boulder or that big stone and to remove it further so as to expand his property, then here's what happened. That landmark would stand as a false witness. It was not a true witness. It was a false witness. And so here within this classification, there's a first category that God gives us for false being a false witness. Notice, no words have been uttered. But the false witness was done by an act. And so within the Old Testament, we understand this idea that the idea of false witness, bearing false witness, is to hold in our minds and in our hearts, not just speaking with our lips. We may be, think to ourselves, well, I haven't violated this commandment because I, I don't lie. I don't speak lies. Well, what about your actions? Do your actions stand as a false witness? So there's the false witness by an act, but then the remainder of the chapter, we see a false witness by the tongue. Here's where he focuses, and really he deals with a, uh, a controversy between two people, and someone brings a witness. I, I would like to note some of the safeguards they put in there to try to make sure that this was not taken advantage of. Uh, a false witness here by the tongue. I want you to notice really in verse 15 he establishes this, the carefulness of a witness. Because in verse 15 he says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth, or the mouth of two or th uh, witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. And so here it says, you got to be very careful. If someone, if anybody is going to stand and bring witness, it is a careful matter. It is to be a careful matter. You ought not to be careless about speaking up against anyone. By the way, that truth, that principle was carried into the New Testament when he says to the New Testament church, uh, by the mouth of one witness, receive not accusation against an elder. That's what he says. Why? Because then anybody can make an accusation and ruin somebody's character and someone's dignity by the mouth of one. And so in the Old Testament, he says, look, there, you have to be very careful about, there, you can't treat the idea of being a witness in a careless way, you have to be very careful about bearing witness, standing as a witness. So it communicates here carefulness. But then verse 16 through 19, 
he mentions here the consequences. And let me, we already read those, but if you notice from verse 16 to 19, he says, if a false witness stands and after the trials goes through and let's say there is maybe a second witness and you find that that witness has been false, then the one who gave the false witness will have the consequences that he intended the other one to have put upon himself. Let me put it this way in this example. The punishment for killing another man would be that your blood would be shed. If any man shed his man's blood, by blood shall his man be shed. So let's say there is a man working out in the field one day and um, he trips and falls and hits a boulder and on his head and, and he dies. And someone sees it and has an opportunity to say, oh, I could get back at someone that I really don't like. And then he comes to the judge and says, I saw who did that to this man. I saw how this man uh, was killed. He was killed. Somebody murdered him. And I know his name and he brings the name to the judge. The judge sends for the man that's been accused. The man accused comes and he says, well, uh, I haven't done this. And the man stands as a false witness. Again, the consequences of the law for the man that he's accusing would be death. And God says, if you have been a false witness in that way, then you would receive the consequences that you intended that other man to receive. What would be the consequences for the other man to receive? would be death. So the false witness in that case would be killed. Do you see here what he establishes here? Not only the carefulness of the witness, but the consequences of your witness. It is not to be again taken lightly. There would be severe consequences for anybody who would be a false witness. And the potential of this most severe consequence would be death in certain cases. Depending on what the accusation of the false witness was about. But then he gives a caution. Notice in verse 20 and 21. Here's the reason why he wants to do this. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. In other words, what he says, you're going to meet the consequences that you intended for somebody else to meet even though you didn't carry it out physically with your own hands. So, Let's say in the scenario that I gave, the man wants to see another man die. He wants to see him killed. So he brings a false witness. And although he doesn't commit the crime of killing that man, that's what he intends to do through his false witness. And so that's the judgment that he meets. Man, that would revolutionize uh, the justice system, wouldn't it? There's so many. I was reading, there's an article about a... Uh, a young man who was accused of, um, of basically uh, assaulting a woman. And he was in prison. And it was, it was not just uh, assaulting physically, but even sexually. And that man was accused and was found uh, 14 years. He was 14 years in prison. And then when uh, DNA evidence came out and all those things, uh, then uh, uh, the... the data that they had and the information they had exonerated the man and it came out later that actually the boyfriend of the young lady had accused that other man because he wanted to get back at him 
Now you think he should meet the consequence in his own life that he intended by his false witness to impose upon somebody else's life. That's fair, isn't it? It That's what God designed. That's what God intended here uh, so that people would not be careless, so that people would think about the consequence of their witness, that those consequences could fall upon themselves, and so that everybody would be very cautious, very cautious about what they said about someone else. So the ninth commandment can have two main categories of false witness. False witness by an act and false witness by the tongue. Let's bring this to the New Testament. The ninth commandment as it relates to believers in the church. Turn with me. We'll go look at two passages. Again, we could go and spend a lot of time here, but I, I think you appreciate it. I'm trying to limit my time, all right? I know Paul preached till midnight, but I'm not the Apostle Paul, so I'm not going to try to do that. Uh, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Believers in the church, they're not liars. Are they? You read throughout the New Testament, and and sometimes you read about things and you, you think, well, why would he write that to believers? Believers don't do that. Yes, they do. They do. And sometimes it's not necessarily in the way that we think. Remember here, there's two categories. Deception or false witness by an act. You're not saying anything. But your actions are bearing false witness. And then there's the false witness of speaking. Now, Colossians, notice 3. Let's look at two verses here. Verse 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Go with me now to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll park on there in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's begin reading verse 22. Now again, Colossians, he had talked about lying and he talked about putting off the the old man, putting on the new man. And here in Ephesians, he he says the same thing. And uh, verse 22, he says, "...that she put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust." The old man, that's what he is. He is deceitful. That's part of the old nature. Deceit. Not truthfulness. Deceitful. Verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, uh, that, uh, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Verse 25. Where, by the way, true holiness here, he's talking about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. True holiness is not an, just an outward show. It's something that is honest from within. True holiness. Verse 25. Wherefore, here's what he says. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. You see three of the commandments mentioned, right? Anger, thou shalt not kill. Uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. Lying. And then uh, don't steal. Thou shalt not steal. There, there, there they are. The Christian is to live by the spirit of the law. He says, verse 28, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hand the thing which is good, that he may have uh, to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And so he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He goes in this passage from, don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, but do this. The, don't do the negative, but do the positive. What is that? Put off the old man, put on the new. That's what he says. So, I would like to bring your attention here to this ninth commandment and how it relates to believers in the church. What does he say? How does he approach this to the believers at Ephesus? He, he says this. First of all, uh, if you are to lie, now he mentions uh, verse 25, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. He uh, says, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Uh, he says um, at the end of verse 31, uh, be a uh, but put away, be put away from you evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. So you have evil speaking, corrupt communication that proceeds from the mouth, and putting away lying. The first thing we see is that the ninth commandment as it relates to the believer is important because it lying, being a false witness or communicating corruptly, harms the reputation of the believer who propagates the falsehood. It harms the reputation of the believer who propagates the falsehood. We, we know what it's like. If somebody lies, you can't trust that person. I remember growing up, my... Uh, well, I, I thought when I was five and six and seven years old, I thought that I was smarter than my parents. Now, I know no children think that way today. That's not true. They all think that way. Um, you know, sometimes the children were, were getting somewhere and children would ask me this question, do you know where you're going? <laughs> or I'm going in a direction that it's not, the church is not that way. Smarter than the parent. Um... But one of the things that I did in my life was I, this is from my dad's testimony. I always maybe think in a rosier manner of my life. But my dad says, you were, you were a pretty good liar. He said, you lied about everything. He says, whatever you said out of your mouth, we just didn't believe it. I said, that's sad. That's really sad. But what happened is I had a reputation you cannot be trusted. Do you know people like that? It's sad, isn't it? Now that should never describe the life of a believer. You see, the idea of lying here really 
is important for the believer because it harms the reputation of the believer who propagates the falsehood. Uh, and by the way, when we're talking about bearing false witness, you think about uh, character assassination or some, saying something about someone, and maybe you give some facts that are true, but you add some juiciness to those facts, things that have nothing to do, and the Bible calls that gossip, right? Uh, evil speaking, corrupt communication, all those fall into that category. And what people don't realize when they do that is they harm themselves. When they're attacking somebody else, to the listener often now, you find yourself, well, I don't know if I can trust that person. You know, sometimes if uh, uh, my wife and I, uh, and I'm not saying, this is not anybody in the church, but uh, sometimes uh, we're privy to somebody comes and they talk to us and they talk to us about somebody else. Sometimes you'll go to meetings, and it's sad, it's sad that sometimes preacher, preachers, when they get together, all they talk about, they talk about people, and they talk about other preachers and criticize other preachers. It's just, it's, it's really quite disturbing. Well, sometimes we leave those conversations, and, and I say to my wife, you know, what they said to us about other preachers, that's probably what they say about us. See, what they don't realize is it harms them. It harms their reputation when they do that type of thing. Uh, they try to make themselves look good by attacking somebody else. To And by the way, that's what you do when you're trying to attack somebody's reputation. <laughs> you're trying to prop yourself up, but you're really not propping yourself up. You're harming your own reputation. That's what's really going on. So it harms the reputation of the believer who propagates the falsehood. But also, uh, notice in our text, it produces the opposite effect that God intends the believer to fulfill towards his fellow believer. Notice with me in verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And so there is a substitution that takes place. If you are involved in corrupt communication, you're not edifying your brother. You're not. Uh, now, the intent, what does God intend? We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. The intent of a believer and his ministry towards his fellow believer is to edify him, is to build him up. And by uh, propagating falsehood or by having corrupt communication, you are producing the opposite effect that God intends for you to have in the life of somebody else towards edification. The opposite product is the result. Again, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. I talked about thou shalt not steal last week. This would fit into that category of don't steal. Don't rob your fellow believer of the ministry that God intends for you to have to them. And you rob the ministry that God intends for you to have to them when you propagate falsehoods. When there's corrupt communication proceeding out of your mouth. You are robbing them of the ministry that God intends for you to have in their lives. So it produces the opposite effect that God intends, intended the believer to fulfill towards his fellow believer. But there's a third thing. And I think perhaps this is the most severest consequence of corrupt communication. He says it renders the ministry of the Spirit and the life of the believer inactive. You see what he says? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, verse 29, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So he says this, you have corrupt communication, it harms your reputation. It 
nullifies your ministry towards your fellow believer that God intends for you to have, but also, thirdly, it renders the ministry of the Spirit in your life inactive. You grieve the Spirit of God. And so, basically, here it is. Uh, if you lie, if there's corrupt communication, the ministry of the Spirit of God is shut out. It is shut out. So the Ninth Commandment has really very important implications for believers. We should be in good reputation. We should prioritize a ministry of edification instead of, of a ministry of gossip and character assassination and false witness. And we should be very careful as to not deactivate the ministry of the Spirit in our lives by our falsehoods. By the way, what is the Spirit, Holy Spirit called in John chapter 15? He is called the Spirit of what? Truth. Well, there is no um, fellowship between light and darkness. You can't have fellowship between the two. So is the Spirit of truth, how can He work if we're full of lies? If there's corrupt communication. So the ninth commandment here as it relates to the believer has uh, very important implications for us if we violate the spirit of this ninth commandment. I would like to end by giving us an example in the church of someone who lied. But I would like to take those two categories and to focus on one category. And that is the first one that I mentioned. Bearing false witness by an act. I think we can make the application that when we speak, we should not bear false witness, speak from our lips. But let's look at that first category, the ninth commandment being broken in the church, not by something that is said, but by an act. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Here is a case in the early church at Jerusalem that should arrest our attention. Uh, the context in chapter 4, the believers were threatened not to teach and preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. Uh, Peter comes back to the church. They say, hey, we're told not to speak and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. So the church prays together. They pray that God gives them boldness, God gives them boldness, they continue to preach the word, and there's just a spirit of revival, everybody was selling their land and bringing money to the church. Barnabas was a man uh, who was a Levite who owned a piece of property, and he sold it and he gave it to the church. He was given a special name, the Son of Consolation. And so there's something great going on in the church, and, and we come to Acts chapter 5, and we read about a man and a woman, a husband and wife, named Ananias and Sapphira. Now, you already know, you already know the account. I've uh, preached through Acts. You've studied it. You've probably taught from it. Uh, taught your children. Uh, maybe used that. Uh, but sometimes if we're, we're thinking about the, the, that account, we're thinking about the gift and the land being sold and they kept back part of the price and they didn't give the full amount. Uh, they did do a good act in the giving, but, eh. but what is it really about? What does Peter say it's about? What does God say it's about? What is it about? It's not about, oh, y'all already know the answer, so let's stop right No, I'm just kidding. We're not stopping. Notice verse 1. 
But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Act. Actions. Right? That's what is described. They sold, they brought to the apostles' feet. No words are spoken. They're not recorded for us. No words. Verse 3. So the money is at the apostles' feet. No words recorded. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to, what's the next word? Lie. Lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Well, has it remained? Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Ananias and Sapphira were this. They were deceivers. They brought, just like that landmark. You move it. You didn't say anything, but your action bore false witness. The landmark stood as a false witness. When they came into the church and they brought the money and they laid it at the apostles' feet, all humble and all, at the apostles' feet, they probably came down, had some air of humility. You know what that amount that they brought to the apostles' feet stood as? It stood as a witness. A witness of what? That they had sold the land and they brought all the money to the church. They didn't have to do that. It was not commanded for them to do that. They just were interested in maybe the reputation that Barnabas had because he was given a special name, the son of consolation. And so they thought to themselves as it was going on in the church, we can do the same thing. But then they brought to the altar a false witness. Their offering, the gift that they brought to the church was a false witness. They didn't say anything. And Peter says, you've lied. Your offering stands as a lie. You've lied to God. You've not just lied to men, you've lied to God. They were deceivers, they were liars, not by what they said, but by what they did. They brought an offering to the Lord. They wanted to be thought of as dedicated Christians, no doubt. And yet they were exposed as liars, not because they said anything, but because they put on an act. Ananias never spoke a word. He simply laid the offering at the apostles' feet. Peter immediately confronts Ananias for lying to the Holy Ghost by withholding part of the price, lying may not, lying may not necessarily be audible. It can be carried out in our conduct. In our conduct. Let me give you an example. Just if we think about that. Now, this was not the tithe, it was an offering. They sold a piece, and the pattern that we see in chapter 4 was people were selling a whole property, and they were bringing back the whole price of the land and bring it to the apostles' feet. But let me give you one example. So we believe that a Christian ought to tithe, to give 10% of their income. That's what we teach, that's what we believe. And it's not a law thing, it's, it was done before the law was instituted. And so we believe that 10% belongs to the Lord. That's the, what the word tithe means, a tenth. 
That belongs to God. We bring the tenth, the tithe to the Lord. And so I can come to church and I can write on the envelope an amount and I can place it in the offering and here's my envelope and nobody knows how much money I make. But by placing that envelope, I am pretending that I'm bringing a tenth. But I'm not. And you may never say it audibly, but by your conduct, you are deceptive. Now here's the truth. You know, we don't go around here, don't, 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 let, don't let this alarm you like, pastor knows how much I make and how much, no, you already know, I don't know what anybody makes and I don't want to know what, what anybody gives. Now you, you know how much I get, you know how much I, I, I make, because you determine that, and you know how much I give, and you can find that out, but I don't know that for anybody else, but God does. So I don't, I'm not saying up here and says, well, I'm going to find out. No, it, it's irrelevant to me. But the question is this, in your conduct, are you pretending? Are you pretending to be dedicated Christians? But God knows you're not, and you know you're not. You're a deceiver in your conduct. And you may say, I'm not a liar, I haven't said anything. Now, you may not believe in tithing, and that's up to you. But if you believe that that's what God requires of you, and if you don't do it and pretend you do it, then you're a deceiver. What I'm saying is that the, the spirit of this commandment it doesn't include just the speaking of lips and of lies. It includes our conduct. Our conduct. We can apply this to many areas of our lives. By the way, when you look at Acts chapter 5, they weren't requiring to give. Paul says in verse 4, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. In other words, Peter says, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to. There was no requirement. There was no commandment for you to sell your land to bring to the church. There was no requirement for you to do that. You pretended. You pretended. Now I think that when we think about our lives, there is a sense where, where all of us want to appear, when we come to church, want to appear more dedicated than we are. I said, well, in there, turn with me to Psalm 51. <clears throat> Psalm 51. Paul, uh, I mean, not Paul, David, uh, remember, had committed adultery with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, um, gone on for some time, evidently, knowing that he was in the wrong. He was living a life of hypocrisy. So, so here's what I'm saying. When David went to the tabernacle or brought a sacrifice, he pretended that he was dedicated to God, but he was not. It was pretense. Nobody else that observed it, probably except for a few servants of his that knew what happened, Nobody else knew the life of David and the lie that he was living. But here's what he says in Psalm 51. Notice verse 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Thou, For thou desirest not sacrifice, ouch would I give it. 
What does God desire? Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices are God of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So David recognizes when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet and Nathan gives them the account of the poor man who had one little ewe lamb and this rich man who had flocks and herds came and took that one little ewe lamb and David flies into rage and he says, whoever did this is going to repay fourfold. And Nathan says, you're the man. And in that very moment he thought to himself, uh, I've, uh, I've lived a sham. I've pretended to be dedicated to God. I brought sacrifices to God. Uh, and uh, I thought here, pretending that people as they observe my light, oh, how God delights in his sacrifices and his offerings. And he says, God wanted no part of this. What God wanted is truth in the inward parts. That's what God wanted. Truth. Not lies. Not pretense. Do you think that David walked around lied to everybody? That's not what he did. But he knew he was a liar. Pretending to be dedicated to God but so far, far removed from God. You see, thou shalt not bear false witness goes much deeper, much deeper than the tongue. It goes all the way down to the, the honesty and the integrity of the heart. When the Bible says, Do thou shalt not bear false witness, bear, you shall not carry false witness in your head, in your heart, and in your lips. Here's what a false witness is in the case of David. Here's a sacrifice, priest. False witness. The sacrifice was a false witness. It was a false landmark. It was designed, it was designed to deceive, not to bring glory to God. And so, as believers, let us be concerned not just with the letter, but with the spirit of the law. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Let's pray.